last night in the middle of the night, about 1.15 or so, uh, that I woke up because of the storm. I was just shaking our house. And I headed to the bathroom, and uh, I was met in the bathroom by my youngest, Asher. And he comes wandering in. I'm like, what are you doing, buddy? He says, oh, just laying there watching the lightning. So oh, pretty cool, huh? I said, yeah. So he gets a drink, and he heads back to bed. And as he heads out the door of the bathroom, he stops and comes right back in. And he goes, oh, Dad, one more thing. Happy Father's Day. I love my boys. So happy Father's Day, fathers, um, to all of you. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in. If you don't have one, just go ahead and put your hand up, and our ushers will get you one right away. And also, if uh, you do not have a cup, you should have received a cup on your way in. If you do not have a cup, let them know, too, that you need a cup, and they will get you one of those so that we all have those in our hands. Um, You'll understand why in a little bit. Needless to say, I am a truly happy dad. My boys make me happy. My three sons, with all their good and with all their bad, are a constant source of happiness to me. They should be. I have the privilege of being their father. Imagine, God entrusted me with raising these three goofy, brilliant, genuine, made-in-the-image-of-God boys. They're each unique, complex, bewildering, needy, surprising, delightful little boys. I could not have drawn this up any better. Um, They needed a dad to make it through life. And that was part of God's plan for them. And so he led them to me and me to them. And it makes me so happy that God had this in mind all along. Uh, Being a dad makes me very, very happy. And fathers, I hope it makes you happy too. There is absolutely nothing like it. And yes, it can be challenging. I don't particularly enjoy disciplining my sons. I struggle when they do something so wrong that it makes me cringe. I ache when they need or want more than I can give them. It breaks my heart when they fight with each other. There's nothing worse than watching one of your sons hit the other one. I'm discouraged when they can't pay attention, even though I'm telling them something essential, something that'll help them. And I hurt when they hurt. But that's all part of the experience, and I wouldn't trade the experience of fathering for the world. Sometimes I just sit and I watch them, and I get so emotional over what God has done to bring us together as a family, as father and sons. I I burst with pride when they do something that demonstrates that God is working in them. Uh, We were at the Home Depot the other day in the parking lot, and as we're coming back out to our van, there's a vehicle parked right next to us, and there's a woman who had got uh, some stuff and brought it out to her car, and she was struggling with some big, heavy bags of soil. And so I stopped, and I, I helped her load the soil into her car, and without missing a beat, one of my sons says, can I put your cart away for you? And takes it and does it, and this woman was, was thoroughly impressed, and I was just exploding with pride. <laughs> One of our boys recently, without any prompting at all, has been praying for the, the girls in Nigeria that have been taken captive. He does that when we pray at night together as a family. Now, I could brag about one of our soccer games that we won 5 nothing. I coached two of my sons in soccer. Um, my one son got the shutout. He was playing in goal. My other son scored four of the five goals. But I'm not going to brag about that. 
These things make me happy, but they're nothing compared to the results of my search to find the image of God in them. And it's there. It's there. And that makes me happy. They know how to love. They know how to put others first. Maybe not entirely how to put brothers first, but you know what I'm talking about. They've learned how to be thankful. And there are those increasingly frequent moments when I just sit there, mouth open, amazed at how well they're getting along. And that makes me happy. Makes me very happy. Fathers, we're going to spend a lot of time on this in the years ahead, learning how to be better fathers together. It's something that we have to work at, and it's something that the church and family can partner together to truly impact. But it's worth all the effort, any effort that we put into becoming more and more like our Heavenly Father. I am a truly happy dad. I'm also a truly happy husband. I'm a truly happy pastor. I'm a truly happy person. I have much to be happy about. Counting my blessings would take a long time. You were given a cup on your way and get that cup in your hands right now. I want you to hold that cup out in front of you in your hands. And I want you to picture that cup as a cup that represents your life. Counting your blessings. How full is your cup? How full is your cup? What's in there? Is it your family, your spouse, your kids, your house, your car, your paycheck, your phone, your boat, your college degree, your career, your status, your awesome neighborhood with the highly ranked schools, your vacation plans, your financial portfolio? Maybe you're still sitting there waiting for me to mention something that's relevant to you and you haven't heard it yet. Maybe you see your cup full of relationships rather than things. Maybe you see your cup full of your accomplishments in spite of the odds being stacked against you. Maybe your cup is full of health-related factors right now. Maybe none of these things are visible in your cup. Maybe your cup is full because you've accepted yourself and who you are. Maybe your cup isn't full at all. Maybe your cup's not full at all. Maybe it's hard for you to think about being happy when that's such a rare thing for you right now. Maybe you just crushed your cup between your hands as you thought about all the things that you just know everyone else around you has in their cups that you don't have. I haven't been talking here about being happy as a dad to make you feel bad about maybe not being happy as a dad or not having a happy experience with your dad. I didn't say those things to make you feel bad because you're not a dad. I didn't mention all those things that fill our cups to make you ashamed for not having those things yourself. This morning isn't about comparing our lists of blessings and how they make us happy or sad if we don't have those things. This morning I want to talk about the fact that God wants his children, you and me, to be happy. But our perfect father's idea of happiness has nothing at all to do with the things that I've been talking about up to this point. God offers us his happiness and he wants us to accept what he's offering. As we begin our summer study on the Sermon on the Mount, the first and most complete recorded message that Jesus delivered to his followers will start with a passage that is very familiar to many of us. It's called the Beatitudes. So turn in your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. 
Now, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 kind of set the stage. Jesus took his disciples, whom he had recently called, away from the big crowds, and he spent some time teaching those disciples. They went up the side of a mountain, and Jesus sat down like any rabbi would, and he began to teach them. He taught them about being happy. Last week we talked about the fact that the first word out of Jesus' mouth in this sermon was the word blessed, which loosely translated means happy. And so right from the very start, Jesus is putting an invitation out there for us to respond to. But what did that invitation look like? Well, first of all, we need to clearly understand what Jesus meant when he said blessed, blessed. The Beatitudes is a series of blessings intended to make the recipient happy. That's how Jesus begins his message to mankind. I want to bless you. I want to make you happy. And so throughout history, Jesus gave some people all the things they needed to be happy. Things like nice houses and families. To the others, he gave, well, not as much or none. No, that's not how it worked. That is not how it worked. The Jesus kind of happy has nothing to do with those things. The Jesus kind of happy is available to all who respond to his conditions. Jesus said, blessed are the something. And we'll look at each of those things. But what does blessed mean? We know it means happy, but what kind of happy are we talking about? And to discover that, we need to go back to the original text in the Greek and discover what, what word got translated to blessed and was its meaning fully communicated in the word blessed or happy. Now, the word translated blessed is the Greek word makarios or makarioi. This word does refer to a kind of happiness or satisfaction. It refers to a state of well-being, a state of bliss even. However, it does not speak of the kind of happiness that comes when our circumstances are favorable. When I state that I'm happy because of something my boys have done or said or because of something I see developing in their character, I would not use the word makarios in my statement. Why not? Because the word makarios describes a kind of happiness that does not depend at all on our circumstances. When Jesus said blessed or blessed, he's referring to an inner contentedness that is not affected by our circumstances. Let me tell you how this word was used historically. The Greek poet Homer used it to describe the state of the Greek gods. They were makarios, happy, because they were not affected by the world of men. They were content in their own separate worlds, unaffected by the circumstances of earth. The word makarios was used to describe the island of Cyprus. Why? Because Cyprus was this ideal place that needed nothing outside itself to flourish. It was described as having the perfect location, the perfect climate, the perfect soil, everything. The people who lived on Cyprus never needed to leave because they had everything that they would ever need right there on the island. Their contentment was not affected by outside circumstances. So when Jesus invites us to be blessed... 
He's inviting us to a place where we can discover a deep contentment that is not affected at all by our earthly circumstances. It's a relational place where we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And in that state, we have everything that we could ever need to succeed as God's creation. Jesus is not inviting us to an improvement in our circumstances as a way to find happiness. He's telling us that our circumstances are not the source of the kind of happiness that he's offering. A kind of happiness that can only be found in him, in Christ. Jesus is saying that true happiness is attainable if we follow his guidance regarding what it's going to take to experience that happiness. And the Beatitudes lay out for us a very clear path to where we can find this happiness. Now, there are several people whose lives are paraded in front of us in the Bible. It can be very easy for us to judge who was happy and who wasn't. Solomon should have been very happy. He had everything, but he wasn't. Paul should have been very sad. He lost everything and landed in prison, but he wasn't sad. There were times when he was really lacking all the things we think could make a person happy. Yet listen to his words to the church in Philippi. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned to I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul and many others demonstrated for us the fact that there is a source of contentment, a source of happiness that has nothing at all to do with our circumstances. For Paul, his happiness was found in Christ. That's it. Paul followed Christ's direction from the Beatitudes. He knew what it was to be blessed by following the direction that Jesus gave his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. Paul was content in spite of his circumstances and Paul knew that the source of his contentment was also his source for the strength that he needed to do anything. And so as we approach the Beatitudes this morning, we need to approach them with a clear understanding of what Jesus meant when he said, blessed. He was saying, fully satisfied are those who fit the description that I'm about to give. Living in a state of inner well-being are those who respond to what I'm about to describe. Happy and free of the influence of their circumstances are the following type of people. Lacking nothing and fully resourced are those who take on the nature that I'm about to describe. Happy are those who abide in me and draw from my well, not the well of this world and its circumstances. And let me tell you what this does for us here in this room this morning. It completely levels the playing field. Totally. Happiness is available to every single one of us here. Every one of us. Paul showed us so clearly that this happiness is available when we have lots of things that could make us happy and when we have none of the things that could make us happy. This world's offering of happiness is fickle and unreliable. Heaven's happiness is trustworthy and steadfast. 
It can never fail to make and keep us happy. We just have to know how to find it. God wants his children to be happy, but he's not going to use something temporal to make us happy. He sees what this world has to offer much clearer than we do. He knows how weak and ineffective it is. He knows that money and possessions and status and popularity and even family cannot provide the happiness that he desires for us. So through Christ, he showed us the way to access the happiness that he desires us to have. Now the choice is ours. Join the world around us in its pursuit of happiness through earthly things and spend our lives looking for something that the world can never deliver or look beyond this world to a deeper, richer, more satisfying, more reliable source of happiness than anything we can attain here on earth. I want to be happy. I know that you want to be happy too. Everyone does. And God wants us to be happy. But our circumstances are not the things that he's going to use to make us happy. God's plan does not include those who have a lot being happy and those who do not have a lot being sad. He wants us to be happy regardless of our circumstances. God wants us to see that our circumstances are opportunities to make him look good. They are not opportunities for us to make ourselves happy. I've heard some say that God just didn't draw up his plan for their lives to include the kind of happiness that Jesus is talking about. They believe that they were just meant to be sad and that's just who they are. But I believe the words of Christ challenge that perspective. He's offering all of us his blessing, his happiness. And he's going to show us here in the Beatitudes and beyond the way for anyone to find that happiness regardless of their circumstances. Maybe God has allowed your circumstances to be far too weak to provide the kind of happiness that circumstances can provide. But a far greater happiness is available to all of us, regardless of how much earthly happiness our circumstances are capable of delivering. Throughout this study, especially of the Beatitudes, ask God to lead you to the source of happiness that he's offering here. It's there for us to grasp, but it's a happiness that can only be found in him, in Christ And it's a far greater happiness than anything in this world can deliver. Even my three amazing sons. Get your cups out in front of you again. Hold them in your hand. Bring back to mind all those things that we've been thinking about so far. Our families, our possessions, our status, our relationships, our achievements, all of our blessings. Whatever it is that fills your cup when you think about your earthly blessings and now hold that cup out in front of you like this. Hold the cup out in front of you just like that. Now do this. As we look at the Beatitudes together, we are not going to add Christ's blessings to the earthly blessings we already have. That's not what Christ is inviting us to do. He is not inviting us to add his blessings to our already blessed lives. He is not offering to top off our cups. He's offering us a better source of happiness than the one we already have. A more satisfying happiness. A more complete happiness in every way. 
So we need to start with a realization that Christ is offering something new. When he came to earth, he turned everything on its head. You'll see that clearly as we progress through the Sermon on the Mount. But our heads and hearts need to be there as we start. Whether you're emptying your cup of a lot or a little, this is where we need to start. This is where Jesus started. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. The first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it is, as expected, no coincidence that Jesus starts the beatitudes with this. This is the starting point to being blessed, to being happy. But it is a point that has been overlooked and sidestepped since Jesus spoke it. This statement has been read lightly, glossed over, skimmed while reading for the sake of reading for hundreds of years. This principle, when seen clearly, has also been avoided or rejected by so many people over so many centuries. Why? Because it's hard. Because it's hard, it's hard to accept, it's hard to practice, it's hard to adapt as your worldview, so we need to dig into it. Blessed are the poor. Let's start there. We looked at the word blessed, now let's look closely at the word poor. We can't take these words for granted. We saw that already in the word blessed. There may be a deeper meaning than we first see in any of the words that that have been recorded for us that Christ spoke. Remember that the Bible was not written down in English. The words that Christ spoke were not spoken in English. That said, we're not going to take the time to learn Greek, but we will take the time to examine the Greek origins of these words together. I'm committing to you that as we study these three chapters over the summer, I will take the time to dig into what's being said and not just assume that the English word and its common meaning in our culture is enough for us to go on. I've already seen that there's more below the surface as I've been reading and studying. So what's below the surface of the word that's been translated poor? It's actually a very strong word, and it stands out in contrast to some of the the pictures that come to our minds when we think of the word poor. The best word that we can use to understand this word's meaning is helpless. Helpless. The word poor here doesn't refer to someone who has very little. It refers to someone who has nothing. Nothing. It describes someone who is destitute. It describes someone who is completely bankrupt. And it goes even further than that. There are two different Greek words that you can set up against each other here. And they would both be translated into English as poor. One of them describes a condition of having little or nothing, but still being able to improve your situation. The other describes one who has nothing and can do nothing to improve their situation. It's a state of utter helplessness. Jesus used a parable in Luke 16 where he described someone who was at this level of poverty. He told a parable about a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. Lazarus was destitute. He sat outside the house of the rich man hoping that some crumbs from the rich man's table would fall and that he could find some sustenance from what fell. 
The character Lazarus that Jesus spoke of in his parable was the kind of poor Jesus referred to when he spoke the first beatitude. This kind of poor is beggar poor. And not just any and every kind of beggar. Jesus is talking about the kind of begging that exists because there's nothing at all that the beggar can do himself to improve his state other than depend fully on the charity of others. We don't see much of this kind of poverty here in this culture and in this country. We didn't even see much of this kind of poverty in Senegal when we lived there. Typically, if there was someone in a family that had some sort of disability, they'd be sent out into the street to beg for alms as a source of income for their family. Whether they received a lot of alms or a little, they still had a family to depend on for their basic needs. Poor in this beatitude referred to someone who had nothing and no means of helping himself. It refers to a beggar in the truest sense of the word. The picture here is that of a beggar sitting beside the road with one hand out to receive whatever might be given and another hand being used to cover his face in shame. It's a strong, strong picture of poverty. It's a picture of absolute helplessness. It includes an element of shrinking back, of cringing or cowering. It describes a desperate, dependent state. Now, it's obvious that Jesus was not talking about material or physical poverty here. He used the word poor, but he placed that word in the phrase poor in spirit. So he's addressing spiritual poverty, spiritual helplessness. So let's remind ourselves of something again right now. You and I are first and foremost spirits. My spirit is who I am on the deepest level. It's the part of me that will live forever. It's the place where I connect with God. It's where his image is found in me. My spirit is more important by far than my body or my intellect or my career or my point of view. It's the place in me where God wants to do business and bring about real eternal transformation. My spirit is where Jesus wants to bless me. Your spirit is where Jesus wants to bless you. Spiritual happiness, inner contentment is available we can enter a permanent spiritual state of well-being if we respond to what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Let this sink in. Blessed are those who recognize that spiritually they are beggars at the kingdom gate. Jesus is offering true happiness to those who acknowledge that they can do nothing for themselves to gain this spiritual contentment. He's looking for us to admit our total dependence on him for happiness. Spiritually, there is nothing you or I can do to help ourselves attain God's grace. Nothing. The happiness that Jesus speaks of here is not a happiness that we can attain ourselves. We must recognize our spiritual poverty and confess our dependency on God for everything eternal and truly satisfying. Get your cups out again. We come to Christ spiritually empty. 
with nothing in ourselves that we can use to gain the happiness that Christ offers in the Beatitudes. Nothing. We come to him with empty spiritual cups, empty cups, begging to be filled, knowing that only he can fill us. Blessed, truly happy are those who are humble enough to admit that they are totally dependent on me, on Christ, to be made complete spiritually. Blessed are those who come to me empty. I will fill their cups with the riches of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus starts the Beatitudes with a statement about humility. And that's exactly where the reception of his blessings begins. The proud cannot experience the happiness that Jesus is offering. The proud hang on to the idea that their cups are at least partially full already thanks to them and the great circumstances in their lives. The proud want to add the blessing of Christ's kingdoms to the blessings of their own little kingdoms. But that's not what Jesus is offering. Jesus is offering eternal filling to the beggars with the empty cups to those who acknowledge their spiritual poverty and total dependence on Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18 now. Luke 18. There Jesus tells a parable that demonstrates what we're talking about this morning. In it, Jesus contrasts two different perspectives. That of a Pharisee and that of a tax collector, a sinner. This parable shows us what Jesus is looking for. In it, we find a model of the poor in spirit. This is Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. We'll read through verse 14. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. When Peter first realized who Jesus was and who he was in relation to Jesus, he fell to his knees in front of Jesus, acknowledging that he had nothing to offer his Savior. Paul said in Romans 7 that there was nothing good in him to bring to Christ. He was a sinful man and could only bring his emptiness. In Philippians 3, Paul brought his cup full of credentials and dumped it out, counting his earthly blessings as rubbish. He knew what it was to fall before Jesus in humility, a destitute beggar with an empty cup. That's how we're being invited by Jesus to come. Poor, helpless, powerless beggars. Empty and incapable of doing anything to improve our spiritual condition. We can only come utterly poor 
to have our cups filled by Christ himself. We can't be filled until we're empty. We can't live until we die. We can't, we can't be saved until we see our need for a savior. Jesus commanded us to humble ourselves. James commanded us to humble ourselves. Peter commanded us to clothe ourselves with humility. You can see the need for humility throughout the scriptures. Our pride is identified as one of the greatest stumbling blocks, one of the largest obstacles standing between us and the kingdom. This is very clear and therefore no surprise at all that Jesus starts with a beatitude that addresses the need for humility. Humility comes first. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who come with nothing to offer, who come totally helpless. Blessed are those who realize that their own kingdom can't help them. To those who get this, I will offer to exchange their kingdom for mine, for the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to be truly happy? And don't look to your circumstances to make you happy. Empty your cup and come to your king. He wants to give you this, his kind of happiness, a happiness that will last forever. He wants to give you his kingdom. Happy are those who humble themselves and let go of what they think will make them happy. Happy are those who come to Christ empty-handed and begging. He will give you a happiness that has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with his kingdom, his happiness. I am a truly happy dad. But only because of the happiness that Jesus offers. An inner contentment that he makes available to those who recognize their spiritual poverty and respond to his invitation to be blessed in the Beatitudes. If you are not experiencing this happiness that Christ offers, will you go to him now with your empty cup? He wants to take you to a place higher than your circumstances where his kingdom becomes your kingdom. I'm going to invite the ushers and worship team to come now and help us close out our worship time. While they come, will you pray with me? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you to just do this. Get that cup in your hands again. Hold it in front of you. And in this quiet moment, just bring it to God. Bring him your cup. If you've never done this before, I want you to just tell God how helpless you are without him how empty you are without him. You may be one of the happiest people in the world. You may have all kinds of things to make you happy. But if you do not have his happiness, then you're just poor in spirit. Go to him now and just let him know, Father, I am a beggar. I am empty. I am helpless. I am destitute spiritually. 
None of the things that are making me happy can make me eternally happy. So God, I bring you my empty cup, my empty spirit to be filled by you. And this doesn't have to come when you first accept Christ. This You could have been walking with Christ for a long time. Maybe today's the day you just want to empty yourself again. Realize that you've filled your cup with a lot of things that aren't eternal. So just right now, just dump your cup out. And start fresh with God with an empty cup. If that's your prayer this morning, just in this quiet moment, will you just hold your cup up right now? Just lift it up to him and say, Father, fill this cup. I am helpless spiritually. Father, we need you. We need you so desperately, so badly. We are spiritually poor. We can do nothing in ourselves to create the kind of happiness, the kind of blessedness that you have in mind for us And so as we come to you, Lord, this morning, knowing that we're empty, knowing that we are helpless, will you just fill our cups? We want your kingdom in our lives. We desire your happiness. An inner contentment that only you can give. We want to know that you're speaking to us, Father, when you say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We want to know that your kingdom is our kingdom, and we're willing to dump our kingdoms out to get it. Father, fill us this morning. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with the riches of your kingdom. Help us to walk in the reality that our happiness does not depend on our circumstances. That our happiness is met totally and completely in you. And that there's nothing that we can do to bring it on ourselves other than to come to you as beggars with empty cups. Father, receive our emptiness this morning. We praise you for how generous you are. How you sent your son and the first thing out of his mouth is, I want to make you happy. Because that's how much I love you. Stop trying to do this on your own. I'm going to do it for you. We praise you for that. For the blessing of your kingdom. For the blessing of your spirit dwelling inside of us. Fill us, Lord, with that spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit today. And may we go about our lives knowing that we have come to you as beggars with empty cups and that you have filled us with the riches of your kingdom. Help us to find our happiness in that every day. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.